Thank you, Jonathan, for bringing those announcements, and thank you, Victor, and the team for leading us in worship. Uh, Let me add my word of welcome to you, however you're accessing the worship service this morning. We're glad that you're here, and I'm going to get situated here. And let me invite you to open up your Bible to Psalm 106 as we continue summer in the Psalms. Psalm 106 is where we'll be at today. This week, if you want to read for next week, check out Psalm 119. It is long, but you can do it if you break it up into chunks and kind of uh, whet your appetite for what we'll be looking at next week. But this morning we're in Psalm 106. Hopefully you've got uh, the ability to access the sermon notes uh, where you can see the outline and that kind of thing. But this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 106 and... Um, Psalm 106 is long, and so we're not going to read this all corporately as we normally do with the other psalms. Uh, but what I want you to know about Psalm 106, just as we sort of get into it before we pray, is that this is a psalm of lament and a psalm of worship. And lament uh, is a word that not too familiar to maybe some of us, but it comes from the Latin word for weeping. And lament just means a state of Sorrow, um, it's an expression of sadness over sin. And we live in a world where oftentimes we, you know, modern societies try to avoid sadness as much as possible. But the Bible, here's a verse for you to jot down in 2 Corinthians 7.10, says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7.10, is a good thing. If you ever find yourself sorrowful over your sin in a way that leads you to Christ and away from sin, that is a good thing. Don't ever, don't ever uh, shy away from godly sorrow. And what we need to see in this psalm this morning is the connection between lament and worship. That's what I want us to understand. That's really the big idea, is that lament is part of worship Godly sorrow over sin that leads to repentance through faith in Christ is part of worship. You know, worship is not just all happy smiles and this is the greatest day and I'm just so happy and I'm just optimistic. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith actually starts with lament, starts with sorrow over sin that leads to repentance through faith in Christ. And just with Psalm 106 open in front of you, Look at Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever, which that obviously to your eyes is a call to praise and worship. There in verse 1. And then look at the last verse of Psalm 106. Look at the last verse, verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Pray the Lord. So in the first verse of Psalm 106 is a call to praise. And in the last verse of Psalm 106 is a call to praise. And everything basically in the middle has to do with lament. And so what you need to understand, the big idea, if someone asked you, what was that sermon about? Is that part of worship is lament, sorrow over sin, godly sorrow over sin, that leads to repentance through faith in Christ. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So let me pray for us with that sort of as an introduction, and then we will kind of get into the message. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we don't want to ignore 
any godly sorrow that your spirit brings about in our life over sin. Maybe it's the way we're talking to someone. Maybe it's a lie we've told. Maybe it's something that's uh, really been a pattern in our lives. Maybe it's something we're doing. Maybe it's something we're not doing. But Father, we welcome your spirit to convict us of sin this morning. We welcome your spirit to give us godly sorrow that will lead to repentance. Father, open our minds, open our hearts. I pray, Lord, that I would preach what is right, and I pray that I would live what I preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as an introduction to this psalm, Psalm 106, I actually want to draw our attention to a story in the New Testament. This is in your notes, if you've got the notes. If not, I'll sort of tell the story. But the story comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And the scene, if I can set this for us, is Jesus on the cross. Jesus is on the cross dying for our sins. And to his right and to his left are criminals that are paying for their sins. So here's Jesus in the middle paying for our sins. And criminals to his right and left paying for their sins. They're guilty. Jesus is innocent. And he's taking our sin on himself. And so then, and on the cross, Luke 23, verse 39. Let me read this for us. It's in your notes. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So, the, so one of the criminals is mocking Jesus. He's joining with the soldiers, making fun of Jesus. You say you're the, you say you're the king. You say that you're the Messiah. If you're that, save yourself. He's mocking One of the criminals. Verse 40. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? You are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Verse 42. And then he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. This exchange in the midst of death, death sentence has always fascinated me. This, this criminal says to Jesus, remember me, remember me when you enter into paradise. So what is he asking? What is that criminal asking of Jesus? He's asking Jesus in the final moments of his life, He wants to know that God knows him. This criminal wants to know that Jesus loves him. This criminal wants to know that despite his guilt, Jesus will receive him. This criminal wants to know that there's hope. He wants to know that he's really going to go into the presence of God when he dies. And that criminal is us. That's our need. That's what we want to know. We want to know and feel and understand that God knows us and loves us and is for us. And he's really going to receive us into his presence when we die. And today's sermon is really on that idea. It's titled, Remember Me. And and it's broken up into three parts. The sermon this morning is really broken up into three parts. Number one, our need of salvation. We need salvation. Number two, God is able and willing to save. And number three, the result of salvation. Our need of salvation, God's ability to save, and the result of salvation. So back in Psalm 106, verse 4, notice what the psalmist says. Remember me. 
I don't know if the criminal on the cross was quoting directly from Psalm 106. I don't have access into his intent, but I do have access into his words. And his words are the very words that the psalmist cries. In his lament, the criminal uses the same words of the psalmist in Psalm 106. Remember me. And this is the great human need. The psalmist and the criminal are not saying, God, remember me like God forgot. God doesn't forget. They're not saying, remember me like like we slipped God's mind. The cry to remember me is a cry to save me. And the reason the criminal and the psalmist say these words, remember me, is because we are in need of salvation. That's the reason. All humans, if you're here this morning and you're a human, I'm assuming there's no cleverly disguised robots. All of us are in need of salvation. Now, why do we need salvation? Look at verse 6 of Psalm 106. The psalmist says, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. So the psalmist says, we and our fathers have sinned. Notice there is no evasion. There's no blame. There's no redefining of terms. The psalmist just owns sin and says, we have sinned. I have sinned. This generation has sinned. The generation before it has sinned. The generation before that has sinned. We have all sinned. The psalmist says, I am a sinner in a long and continuous and unbroken line of sinners. That's our need for salvation. Some of us might come from families where there's a family business. I don't know if you came from a family where there's a family business, but this happens sometimes. Maybe your family tends to be in business and you're in, you've gone into medicine or maybe your family business is insurance and you've, you've uh, gone into uh, construction or something else. But what the psalmist is saying is that sin is the family business of humanity. And we're all in the family business. We're all guilty. We have sinned and our fathers have sinned. So in regard to spirituality, we are just like our fathers. We're no better than our fathers. Our sins might be different than our fathers, but we are sinners like our fathers and their fathers. So when the psalmist says, remember me, he is calling out for God to save despite his sin. Now, when it comes to sin, there are two kinds of sins listed in this long list of sins. One kind of sin are are called sins of commission. These are things we do that are sinful. And the other list of things is called the sins of omission. These are things we don't do. And both of them are part of this long list of sin that the psalmist is talking about. Look at verse 7. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. Do you see that in verse 7? So so after he says, I'm a sinner, my fathers were sinners, their fathers were sinners. When we were in Egypt, we did not remember your wondrous works. And then next he says, they did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. And so so they've, they've forgotten, they've failed to remember. It's a sin of omission. Verse 13 But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. And so in this lament, this worshipful sorrow over sin that leads to repentance, the psalm is saying, I'm a sinner. 
I come from a long line of sinners. And one of the things we do that's sinful and in need of salvation is we fail to remember God. Look at verse 21. It says, they forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt. They forgot God. One of the greatest dangers in the Old Testament, in the Bible, is the danger of forgetting God's promises, forgetting God's word, forgetting what God has done. And when you forget, you get proud. And when you're proud, you're not humble. And we know what God does with the proud. He rejects the proud. And so our relationship with God is, is, is distant when we forget what God has done. And when we forget God, we act like God doesn't exist. That's the danger. When we forget God, we act like God doesn't exist. If I were to say to everyone this morning, hey, fill out this survey, and if the survey included the question, do you believe in God, maybe you would all say yes. I don't know, but maybe you would all say yes. But there's, there's a different way to be an atheist. It, there's one way where you just outright say, I don't believe God exists. That would be atheism. But another way to be an atheist is to live like God doesn't exist. You might say he does, but what the psalmist is confessing is we acted like God didn't exist. Look at verse 12 of Psalm 106. It says, they believed his words and they sang his praise, verse 13, but soon they forgot his works. And can't we all confess that? Can't we all confess that we believed and we sang praises maybe that Sunday morning and then Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, Monday, we forgot his works and we don't wait for God's counsel and we just live like God doesn't exist. That's another reason why we need a great savior. We've forgotten. But notice that sin leads to greater iniquity and greater sin. Look at verse 14. So they forget his works. They don't wait for his counsel. Verse 14. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and they put God to test in the desert. There is an escalation of sin in Psalm 106 from sin to iniquity to transgression. And the idea with these words is that when we forget God's word, when we forget his commands, we start to sin and it gets worse and worse and worse. This is one of the reasons why it's so dangerous to let sin have any hold in your life because it will take you down further than you wanted to go for longer than you intended to go. And so the psalmist is confessing, we gave sin an inch and it took a mile. Verse 16, when men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. And so one of the sins that the psalmist is confessing is jealousy. So you forget what God's done, you get proud, you see God working in other people's lives, and you get jealousy, and sin goes from bad to worse. Verse 14 says they tested God. Verse 15 says God judged them. And then the wicked are, are judged and burned in verses 17 and 18. And then in verse 19, it says, you look at this, they made a calf in Horeb and they worshiped a metal image. How did this people go from worshiping and singing one minute to worshiping a golden calf in God's image, breaking the commands in the very next? They gave 
sin an inch. They forgot God. They forgot his word. And it just got worse and worse and worse. Let me give you hope. If you're here this morning and you have found your life plunging deeper and deeper into sin, it started with something maybe years ago and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. There is a way out. You don't have to stay there. But let me say what the psalmist is saying by way of exhortation and and warning. Don't give sin an inch. Don't play games. Don't see how close you can get to the edge without going over. This psalm warns us against that. Godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Now, it's interesting. You might want to jot down Romans 1. Paul picks up on this exact theme in Romans chapter 1. And he reminds us that Jews and Gentiles have all exchanged the glory of God for a lie. And we've, and, and so Paul says that we're all guilty of what Psalm 106 describes. All of us are guilty. We've exchanged the worship of God for something else. And as a result, our life spirals deeper and deeper into sin. All of us need salvation. We and our fathers have sinned. Well, the list of sins goes on. Verse 25 mentions murmuring. Verse 28 mentions false religion. They ignore God's commands in verse 34. They mixed with other nations in verse 35. And the sin there was that God wants them to stay pure in their religion. He doesn't want them to be mixed in worshiping other gods. And when they intermarry with people of other faiths, their faith is divided. That's the sin. And so God says that is Evil, verse 36, they served idols. And verse 36, look at verse 36 together, actually. It says, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. So this is what sin does. It, it, it tempts us, we give in, it traps us. And then we are like an animal trapped in a snare. And it goes from bad to worse. You don't believe me? Look at verse 37. Look at 37. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. It started with them forgetting God. Sounds innocent enough. I just forgot. And then they start to They start to murmur and then they start to get jealous and they start to disobey. And this sad cycle of sinful devolution results in the shedding of their own children. Sacrifice of other human beings. There is no shortage of evidence for man's sinfulness. When the psalmist says, I've sinned and my fathers have sinned and we're just as humans, a one generation after another of sinners, the psalmist is not looking for evidence for for sin to confess. And listen, this is an important point to make about confession. Confession is part of worship. You don't want to come to worship on Sunday morning without confessing. You don't want to wake up and have your quiet time and jump to thanking God for salvation with, with, but skipping the confession part. And if you feel like you don't have enough sin to confess, you're doing confession wrong. Because there's never a lack of sin to confess. Matter of fact, the more you think about things you should be confessing, you, like the psalmist, will just pour forth with sin to confess. But God is so good. Look what it says in verse 43. Despite their sin, 
despite all of their wandering, many times he delivered them. Many times he delivered them. As often as they sin, God was willing to receive them. And so the prayer to remember me is a mission that we need salvation. And the second point is that God is able and willing to save. This is the good news. No matter where you're at this morning, you might be down in the deepest depths of sin. You might be ensnared to some sin, but God is able and willing to save. The problem is not that there's not salvation. The only problem is our willingness to turn and receive it. God is able and willing to save. Look at verse 4. It says, you save them. Look at verse 8. Yet he saved them for his name's sake. Why does God save us? God's, God's motivation in saving you is actually his namesake. God's not out to make you famous. God's out to make God famous. God doesn't break his own commands. God has no other gods before God. And so God's motivation in saving you is his desire to make his name great. And so if you find yourself this morning greatly in sin, the good news is God's power is demonstrated in greatly saving great sinners. God's salvation or his is manifest in these physical ways. Look back in verse 43. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and they were brought low through their iniquity. All of these times in the Old Testament where God delivers people physically, whether it's physically out of Egypt or whether it's physically through the sea or whether it's physically out of a whale or whether it's physically from a fire or whether it's physically from a den of, 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 of lions, okay, whatever it is, those are all pictures of God's willingness and ability to save us from judgment. Those are all pictures. They're all to do for any one of us experiencing godly sorrow, willing to turn to Christ. God is ailing to save. Let me just emphasize, both of those are important. It would do us no good if God were able but not willing, or if he were willing but not able. We are often willing but unable to help people. Haven't you ever found yourself in that situation? There's someone in your life that you're willing to help, but they just don't want your help. God is able and willing to save. Well, the question is, why does God save? Why does he save? I mean, if it's true that we are as sinful as the psalmist says, if it's true that we spiral deeper and deeper into sin, if it's true that God delivers us and we just fall again and again and again, what, what is the reason God saves rebellious people like us, just as rebellious as our fathers and their fathers and their fathers, generation after generation, going back to the first humans, Adam and Eve? What motivates God to do this? Well, this is really important that we understand what motivates God is his covenant love. His covenant love. God remembers his covenant to love. He's willing and able to save. We see this in all of these verses. He saves them for his namesake. And this has to do with his covenants. This is what the psalmist mentions, God's covenant. And a covenant, sort of a big word, and covenant is just God's decision to save. God's decision to save. God made a covenant with Abraham. 
And he reaffirmed that covenant with Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David. Down through these same sinful generations, God made a covenant where he promised to be their God and they would be his people. But the problem is, is that God, God's covenant requires holiness and it requires sacrifice. And these same sinful humans, just like us, failed to be holy and they failed to keep looking to the one who would ultimately be the sacrifice. And so the Old Testament is constantly pointing forward to a Messiah, a deliverer who would come and be holy and then himself be a holy sacrifice and deliver us from sin once and for all. And that is Jesus. Jesus is the final sacrifice. He's the perfect sacrifice. Jesus fulfills all those Old Testament promises. He is the faithful one. He is the obedient one. He is the perfect sacrifice. And so God's covenant is his decision to save. And God's covenant is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. The Bible calls the covenant in Jesus's blood, which was shed on the cross, the new covenant. And in the new covenant, God receives anyone by faith alone who is willing to look to Jesus for forgiveness. And he writes his law on your heart and his spirit enters into you forever. So our need but for salvation is met by Jesus. Remember what the criminal needed to know? The criminal needed to know, are you for me? Do you love me? Will you receive me? Are you going to save me? And it is Jesus's blood which provides the assurance, all the assurance you need. Have you ever wondered, does God still love me? I mean, after what happened this week, does God still love me? Is God still for me? Does God really, is he really going to receive me? And it's the blood of Christ shed on the cross, which is the basis of God's covenant with us. So that we know it's not about our works. It's not about our performance. It's not about your efforts. It's not about your merits. It's not about how much you gave or how much you attended. Attended. It's not about who likes you. It's not about how popular you are. It's not about how successful you are. God saves us because of the covenant, the new covenant that is in the blood of Christ shed on the cross. And we receive that. You receive that by faith alone. Just as the criminal looked to Jesus and said, hey, I can't save myself. Would you save me? If in your heart you'll look to Jesus this morning and say, Jesus, I can't save myself. Would you save me? Jesus looks at you just like he looked at the criminal and says, you're going to be with me in paradise. Maybe not today, but just as assuredly as Jesus speaks to the criminal, he speaks to us. You will be with me forever. Not because of anything you did, but because of what I am doing for you on the cross. And when that happens, listen, when that happens, when you, like the criminal, look to Jesus in your sorrow over sin, in your recognition that you deserve judgment, but Jesus didn't. Jesus was taking our sin. When that, when that moment of realization happens by the Holy Spirit and you look to Jesus, something amazing happens. And it has to do with the first and the last verse of Psalm 106. When that happens, when you recognize all of the ways you've sinned, Praise begins to flow out of your life. Praise begins to flow out of your life. Praise flows from the hearts of people who have experienced sorrow over their sin. Never, ever 
Try to ignore the godly sorrow that God brings into your life. Take it and confess and turn away and experience the revival of praise that takes place in your life. The, the word in verse 1 and in verse 48 of Psalm 106 for praise is the word hallelujah. Have you guys ever heard that word before? It's an obscure Hebrew word. No, of course you have. Hallelujah. Before you ever went to church, you had heard the word hallelujah. You'd heard a Leonard, Leonard Cohen song by that same name. And you, you know that word hallelujah, right? But did you know what hallelujah means? It means praise God. Hallelujah means praise God. I wonder if all those artists that have covered that song, Hallelujah, by Leonard Cohen, maybe know that that means praise God. But the word hallelujah means praise God. I mean, part of this means we should be careful with that word, hallelujah. We should be, make sure we're using that word in appropriate ways and in appropriate times and in appropriate context. But the point is that praise flows when we are broken over sin and we look to Christ as the one who can save us. Praise flows. You've probably experienced this in your life. The times where you have experienced brokenness over sin and you look to Jesus, those are some of the sweetest moments of worship in your life. And look, it doesn't have to be some scandalous sin. It can just be your brokenness over the fact that I've never shared the gospel with my neighbor. I've not even tried. It could be your confession over the fact that, you know, I've just spent way more time this week watching TV than I did doing anything of love or service to others or in devotion to Christ. It could just be a realization that I'm not really using my time wisely. That's why I say the more we mine our lives for things to confess, the more the sacrifice of Christ is highlighted and the more praise begins to flow from our life. We are in need of salvation God is willing and able to save through Christ. And when he does, the result of salvation is praise. So this is the hope of Psalm 106. We have sinned just like our fathers have sinned. But just as God was willing to receive them by faith and save them, he's willing to receive you and me. And if you look to Christ, God will remember you. He will save you and you can know, you can know that God loves you, he is for you, he has forgiven you, and he will receive you. Just as surely as Jesus spoke to the criminal, he speaks to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you for the simple truth of this psalm. God, each one of us right now has things to confess. Each one of us right now has things that perhaps your spirit is even bringing to mind where we have either sinned in what we've done or in something we've failed to do. Maybe you've prompted us in some way and we've not responded. And pray that right now you would allow us to feel what your word calls godly sorrow, which leads to repentance, which leads to praise. And Father, I pray that even right now in this moment, as we pray and as we as we feel the conviction of our own sin, we would look to Christ and see the perfection of his sacrifice. And in seeing him on the cross for our sin, paying the full price of our sin, taking the full measure of your wrath for our sin, we feel an immense sense of joy. We feel an immense sense of praise coming from our hearts because there's nothing more that's needed. You've done it all. And we just get to bask in your goodness, bask in your love, 
and return your goodness in praise. God, I pray for each one of us that our lives flow with praise this week. Praise that is the result of sorrow over sin and confession and looking to Jesus alone to remember us. We pray what the psalmist prays. We pray what the criminal prayed. Remember me. Because of Jesus, remember me, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.